Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Joe Perot says the term liquidity has been brought up as of late. Does Mr. Gray have any thoughts on liquidity in the industry slash hobby? First off, there's a reason why if you look at nosebleed cards, like these cards Ken Golden was selling for the last two years, that's where the most pain is happening right now. Mm -hmm. Cards that are 100,000 plus are just getting their butt kicked because there's no support. This is why the people who say we can't have repacks, we shouldn't have repacks, shame on those words you're muttering. Because the reason those mid-range cards, mid-range stuff's holding up way better than high-end. And the reason is because there's repackers. I just sold a deal today to a repacker, a well-known repacker. I just sold a very big chunk of cards at 100% of comps. They paid me 100% for a bunch. I spent the whole day today comping cards. I sold a deal at 100% because they need cards so desperately. And I have really good stuff. They were like, we'll pay 100% of comps for your stuff because you have incredible volume of good stuff. Like, you understand that liquidity? That's impossible anywhere else. 52 mantles are not liquid at 100% of comps. Nothing is liquid at 100% of comps except these repack level cards. Like, they are critical to the liquidity question. Otherwise, if you're relying on true collectors only to provide liquidity for these ultra high-end boxes, you're out of your mind. It's just not going to happen. And so... That's one reason why I would never buy at this stage a $50,000 card. You're out of your mind. And when I do, it will be a 51 Bowman Mantle high grade, which is fine. But like, I think you are taking huge risk if you're buying Mahomes treasures or, you know, whatever these crazy, you know, Luca, Logo Man, whatever crazy ass cards that are going for 100, 200K, you're out of your mind. Hmm. There is no liquidity at all for those cards right now. All right, Minnesota Sports Card Junkie says, or spend your money on actual singles you want and not a chance at something in a repack. That's a definitely that's an option that I was just mentioning. It is, it is but where are these cards going to come from if no one opens the boxes? Well, that he was talking about repacks, but I that's listen, Brian, I don't crack a lot of wax, but I love that everybody does because that's where my singles come from. They make it on online marketplaces, card shows, uh, LCSs, and I can go buy them there. So I, you know, as a collector who doesn't enjoy the 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 return on opening product, I love that other people want well, to do that. Well, that's the thing. It's, that's the thing. You're, you're looking for a different experience. Do you want to buy something you want? Awesome. Do you want to have the fun and the mystery of a pack without the potential pain of buying a $3,000 box where you get $88 worth of cards? There you go. And so I think you just have to decide what you want to do. That's why I think the repack has a viable place in giving collectors a chance to buy what it is they want to, to have that experience they want to have from opening boxes without the volatility. And trust me, one third, you know, two thirds downside, quadruple upside is not volatility compared to new products. I've watched new products that are $1,000 a box where literally $100 comes out. And I've seen some worse, no doubt. 
Casey Gold here says, Brian slings a lot of concepts around. He hits enough of them. That's an old comment. Chris C, exclusivity is not a good thing. Here's a, uh, someone on Facebook makes this long comment. He says, people who build brands and checklists with websites and actual values that can be tracked, hits that are guaranteed, et cetera. It's all about transparency, branding, et cetera. Look at Arena Club, crushing it. Mystery pop for Funkos, all the slab repacks if they tell you. And it's fire. They are great. If it's skewed and possibly rigged, it's a problem. One big hit should not weigh the majority of the product value. I agree with that. And the new category for card entrepreneurs to come up with big, especially on live stream. So just more on the on the uh, repacking fat armpits here. Oh, so let me say, so let me say, hold on, hold on. The bounties are absolute gambling. Could see regulators coming after that. Diamond Dog says gambling is easy money. Vegas wasn't built by not winning. Random Esports says, Brian is 100% right about the bounties. They're all shady. Uh, Les Hill says, doesn't feel like a hobby to me anymore, to be honest. And then Diamond Dog here says, spot on with that comment, Brian. It's entertainment, not investing. Uh, before you come on, Brian, the essential credentials wishes us both a happy new year. All right, Brian, please say what no, you're going to say. One thing about Arena Club crushing it. I mean, again, that's a case where, again, I'm not being mean, but they gave a bunch of influencers a bunch of either money or stuff to pump the shit out of that. They did. I don't know if they're crushing it or not. I can tell you, I looked at the list of cards. It's a bunch of dog shit. And because they own their own grading company, think about this. They literally are most probably, just a guess, buying raw cards and putting them in their own holders and putting them in repacks. Because a majority of the cards are actually arena club slabs. Now, I have a problem with that. I have a I problem. Can't speak to that. I, is just throwing cards in slabs that they're grading themselves. Like, hold on, that's that's getting a little more dicey on the ethical on the ethical scale. Now, if it's all P PSA, SGC, and all that stuff, that's different. But if you're telling me that, like, that they're buying an '82 Topps Ripken, putting it in an Arena Club slab, and then putting it in these repacks under the auspice that an Arena Club nine has a value of this, when they graded the own card they bought and are selling it to the consumer. If PSA did that, you would you would scorch their earth. If PSA made a repack out of cards they bought themselves on the market and slabbed. It's not like Arena Club went out and bought those cards off eBay. Like the cards already slabbed. They bought raw cards and slabbed them, and now they're putting them in products. They're basically retelling the cards they graded themselves. Sure, but let, let me ask you this, though, because I, I, under, I see that conflict. I can definitely see that that's a conflict of interest. However, as time goes by, and the hobby absorbs those cards and looks at them and, and, and asks the question, is the grading appropriate? Does the grading fall within industry grading standards? And I mean, we know how inconsistent grading is, but that's another problem. <laughs> I know, but that's a different conversation. But is it that bad if they're grading the prop, the, if they're grading the cards objectively, despite the fact that the conflict of interest exists? It's it's another thing if they are if they are exploiting that conflict of interest to their benefit. But if the, if the hobby recognizes and accepts that those cards in their slabs are graded fairly, then what's the, what's the damage? If you could put up a poll right now, how many people in this room have sent arena club a card to grade? It would, it would look like Vladimir Putin is running against mother Teresa for kindest human ever to walk the earth. Like, I mean, you realize how lopsided a poll that means. No one grades with them. No one grades there. It's a way to salvage a busted grading business. Well, I think their business is is as much a new marketplace as a grading company. I think I think they're 
their showcases and all that. I believe I that was my understanding, but I don't think it's caught. And I, I think there are companies with much better concepts that are really having to work hard to make inroads into this marketplace. I'm just not buying. I'm just okay. not buying into the idea. I just think it's this is where again, when I see someone spend a bunch of money trying to get influencers and people like that on board to promote and hype stuff. It's very clear to me. That's what happened with the fire festival. They gave all these influencers a bunch of money to go out and tweet about how great it was. That's what happened in one day. Suddenly all these people were talking about how great it was all on one day. And did they really all get it on one day with, I would like to know what they got. If arena club will come out and tell what all these influencers got in terms of either free cards, free product, money, whatever, I'd be on, I would, I would definitely retract my concerns about what they're doing. It's a hype job. And if you spend enough on Facebook advertising, you'll sell stuff. If you spend enough on influencer, trust me, I can call every one of these influencers and get them to say that BG is the greatest, whatever, ever. And whatever I'm making is the best thing since sliced bread by paying them off or giving them something. Hell, when I own Leaf, people were offered bribes all the time to try to get things out of Leaf. And I just told them I own the company. You were asking the wrong guy. You're not gonna be able to bribe the guy that owns the company. What's wrong with you? You know, but the reality is, and again, I still see people in comments, you know, they make comments about repacks. Repacks are not designed for you to win anymore. But if you think new products are designed for you to win, how are you going to win when 30% of the money goes to the leagues and the players? Mm. How are you going to win when, when Banyana gets $25 million from Fanatics? How are you going to win? How are you going to win? And that's the problem is it's not about it's not about any of that stuff. The, the current model for cards is a little bit damaged and needs to be repaired. And this is why I love Leaf and companies like it, because they're not stuck in this race to try to pay licensing and all the things that, it, that just kill the value, that kill your return, that make it impossible for you to, to be in the game very long before you run out of money. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, money matters. You can't buy product without money. Listen, I want to just take a second and uh, just welcome everybody who is watching. We have a great, great viewership tonight. So thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks, Brian, for coming on and bringing your audience, Brian. And so if you're new to the channel, to Sports Cards Live, to my show, my podcast, please hit subscribe. You know, Sign up for the podcast on wherever, wherever you consume your podcast. We're also streaming live right now to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. So to everybody watching on Instagram, I do see, I just can't communicate with you. If you want to come in the chat, you got to come on to YouTube and watch, but welcome everybody to the show. And, uh, you know, here we are the night before New Year's Eve. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm going to go to a couple comments here. Brian, Minnesota sports car junkie says you can make the hobby fit your style versus conforming to what the majority thinks the hobby is. I love that comment. Collect what you like. Like my friend, Mark Neiman, ultimate pastime says. Great comment, Minnesota sports car junkie. Uh, Steve Elmore says, Happy New Year and hello. Uh, the great curator says, Brian, how do we change the general hobby mindset that player cards not made by the top three manufacturers are not as desirable or worth as much as top tops, Panini, and upper deck cards? Well, you guys are buying women autographs from Panini, uh, from Fanatics for a bunch of money, and they're not licensed. They got no logos or anything on them. You're buying unlicensed cards. You are buying, I mean, that's the thing. It's at the end of the day, people, they don't apply a consistent argument across the board. 
a lot of stuff out there that you guys love is not licensed. And again, the ones I always bring up because it makes me laugh is 76 tops Walter Payton, 81 tops Joe Montana. They have no licensing. Montana's helmet is airbrushed on his rookie card, for God's sake. Like, does that not give you some pause that maybe we've been brainwashed by these guys who have a lot of money invested in making sure that the licensing, whatever. I mean, and again, maybe I'm killing my chance to consult for a company with licenses, but I'm just calling it like I see it. You know, at the end of the day, people draw this box and they want, they want you to think within this little box. They ask a question or define something in this little range because they want your answer to fit in their box because they know what kind of answer can you give when they put you in a box. I always taught my kids, and I did this when I was deposed in, in, a, in a lawsuit where I sued a manufacturer for unfair competition. Their lawyer kept asking me questions, and he would say, given this, 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 and this, how do you explain this? And I said, well, first off, I'm not answering that question. You can ask it again or I'll ask the question. He goes, no, I asked you a question. Answer. I said, okay, fine. I'm going to answer the following question. And I restated his question within fair parameters. So it allowed me to answer outside of this narrow answer he was trying to force me to give. And he got so mad at me, he turned red in the face. And every time he asked a question, I'd restate the question with changes because I wasn't going to answer a biased question, a question designed to trip me up or cause a problem where there isn't one. And I think we have the same problem in the hobby. We've been told that unlicensed bad. It's like orange guy bad. If you don't like Donald Trump, orange guy bad. I don't like him, but it doesn't matter. We just try to convince people this. And the fact at the end of the day, People have to make the decision. And I believe if you look at like metal football, people accept those cards in a way different way than they've ever accepted unlicensed before. They really have. And so to me, we, we, we started to break that barrier a little bit, but again, whose interest is it to tell who's, whose best interest is it to tell you that unlicensed is bad, right? The guys who have the licenses, where the big money is, the leagues and the players, buy what you like. And I'm telling you long-term, someday, I would much rather have an ultra-low produced autograph card of Otani than a mass-produced run-of-the-mill autograph card of Otani where there's 50,000 times the number of copies or pick it, you know? It's just not – I'm just telling you. All right. We're looking at a 10-year time frame here where unlicensed has been meaningful. Only for the last 10 years has unlicensed really given license to run for its money in any way, shape, or form. If you're going to say the, his, the future of the hobby is defined by this little 10-year period, think about the 1980s if I had told you that Upper Deck would come out with cards with holograms on the back or that players would sign cards and put them in packs. You'd have thought I was off my rocker. But the fact is the hobby is going to continue to evolve and what seems unthinkable today can absolutely be thinkable tomorrow. And some of the greatest treasures are things that were not basketball cards. In 1987, that was crap. You couldn't get rid of Star Company basketball cards. You couldn't get rid of them. They're worthless. And then in 1992, they're worth 100 times what they were in 1987. So, like, things are going to change, especially when they're done with the quality that Leaf does it, as an example, or the quality that Topps does it with Bowman U and those things where they don't have logos on the uniforms in many cases. They make a nice quality card. Or Panini with flawless baseball. When a card is made with high quality, I think I can get past the pajamas a little bit. Hmm. I get a little more interested in the concepts, the assets, whether it's game, real game use like Leaf uses, or on-card autographs, which Leaf uses less of, or autographs, which Leaf uses plenty of. You know, I, I look at those elements, and I think they're more important than people are giving credit. The jersey's overrated. 
And as a side note, I don't think the companies need a license to use the jersey. I believe they can show a player in a jersey with no if they're willing to take a three million five million dollar lawsuit. I've heard you say that. They don't need that. All right, let's let's couple more comments. Michael Ham says, "I feel the hobby is just recycling the same stuff that's not even as good as the late '90s and early 2000s, especially inserts." To which Rage says, "Bingo, Mike Ham, ding ding ding." Uh, what what are your thoughts on that, Brian? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I mean, I, I think insert cards, I think some of the technology in the 90s is way better than some of the stuff we do now. I mean, you, you have to say so. There's some of those 90s inserts are amazing. SP Holoviews, how awesome were those? You know, the Upper Deck Holoviews with the hologram, amazing. And what's amazing is in the manufacturer, we can't make a lot of that stuff. I've been, I've been working for the last five years to try to make something that looked and felt like the original PMGs. Not a steel their design, but just something that had that same kind of texture and like um, texture and like the just the feel of it. Because the new ones don't, they're not like the old ones. They're a cheap knockoff of the old ones. The new PMGs are not like the original PMGs. And we could not, for the life of us, in five years, replicate the look and feel. We just couldn't do it. So I think in that sense, he's right. Now, the way autographs and relics and things are used now is different level. Again, I think cards today are so much more creative than the past. It's amazing. Mike Robo found out tonight that the 1981 Joe Montana was unlicensed by the NFL, not the PA, but just the NFL. What was the alternative? There was no alternative. That is his one and only rookie card. Same with Walter Payton. There was, can the you best. Have one message before that where the guy that doesn't like me keeps commenting? Taylor Swift, don't need your money, Brian. Are you crazy? I can't believe what I'm hearing. Uh, he's way be he's behind in the show right now. Keep in mind. No, 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 no. He, but you no, know, he he's been ragging on me the last five things. So I, I'd like to address him real quick. Sure. Um, so basically, let me give you a rundown. Harrison Ford, Britney Spears, the Kardashians, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. Um, I mean, we got a pretty good list of people that are worth a lot of money. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban's worth much more than Taylor Swift. He signed for me. Um, so I think at the end of the day, I think that logic is poor. Um, we definitely want people to, we definitely want to get great celebrities to sign. Um, the thing is, Taylor Swift, if we actually talked to Taylor Swift, she would give Leaf the rights. She would give Leaf the rights to make cards of her if we could speak to Taylor Swift. The problem is when you call her agent, her agent says, is the deal 25, is the deal $50 million or more? And you're like, well, no. <laughs> and they won't even take it to her. See, my pitch to so many celebrities I got, which again, Rage, who's going to make more comments saying that I promote pedophiles, which is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, I, I would say to someone like that, how do you think I got Jennifer Lopez to sign? How do you think I get these guys to sign? Because half of them, I told them, do you want consumers to get ripped off on fake autographs on eBay they're buying? Or do you want to give people something real to buy? Give them something real to collect. And that's the argument. I'm trying to get Madonna. I'm trying yeah. to make the argument that a real autograph has value. Now, again, this is the last time I'm going to address Rage because he's obviously a lunatic. 
Um, I put a pedophile murderer on a card in Tiger King. What the f are you talking about? Let's move past it. I don't want to. I don't want to be honest. I have to be honest. The only reason I say this is generally, I, I would say this just for his like ability to reason with people. When you present an opinion, if you do so in a way that is balanced, educated, and not clearly one-sided, then I think you make a better argument that more people will listen to and say, you know what? This is someone who's really trying to reason and ration if something's over the line. Like if that gentleman just, and I say this because if we're going to call companies and yell at them and say they do this wrong, they do this wrong, we never say the companies are great. Redemption sucks. This sucks. Customer service sucks. Everything sucks. But instead of yelling at them, if we said, listen, have you thought about the concept of doing this? Because as a consumer, it's very frustrating to see this. I promise you, whenever someone sent me an email like that, I took the time to answer every single one of them. That's it. I, I answered every email. But when a guy said, you're a, you're an ice hole, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. And I was like, I don't listen to stuff like that. So what I would urge people to do is be critical and hold card companies accountable. Hold everyone in the business accountable, whoever it is. But you're going to catch way more flies with honey. And you're going to get the ears of the people that matter when you do it the right way. And at the end of the day, we make what we think people want. If you don't like it, don't buy it. If you like it, buy it. I don't make anything right now, so I don't know what we're talking about. But when I was at Leaf, we made things we thought people wanted, and people voted with their wallet. And when I was wrong, they didn't buy them. And when I was right, they bought the hell out of them. Okay, new topic. David Cook wants to know, Brian, what is the future of live auctions with eBay pushing them now? Can they compete with WhatNot? No one's competing with WhatNot right now. And the main thing is WhatNot has a customer that is addicted to their platform can't get off of it. They Everyone deletes the app 50 times and comes right back. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think eBay, I mean, eBay, eBay has a, has the customer base to compete. Their software is clunky and there's issues with that right now. But I think the live selling platform is a big issue now. I think it's a big issue for retailers. It's a big issue for everybody. It's going to be like what breaking was like 10 years ago. Most stores said, I'll never break. Well, the smart ones have started breaking stuff because they realize that's yeah. a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. In many countries around the world, online selling, I mean, uh, live selling is a critical avenue for selling stuff. Let's keep know? going. Sean Red says the hobby went from collecting to investing to gambling. Greg Cohn says, what should the return on buying a product be? The industry is unique in the fact that there are too many levels of profit expected between licensors, manufacturers, brick and mortar, breakers, and collectors. And I think that's, that's one of the, that the is so profound it, that Greg is, I love that son of a bitch. He's so smart. That is an issue. There's so many pieces in the middle and that's why like it or not, fanatics doesn't, I, I can see fanatics focusing on consumers directly long-term Yeah, because if they can cut out all these people in the middle, the customer actually could end up getting better value than they get now. If fanatics doesn't keep all that for themselves. They really could become, and they had the infrastructure to do it, to really make it a much more efficient marketplace. And again, I love all the, I, I did all these things. I was a, I wasn't a licensor, but I was a manufacturer. I had a brick and mortar. I was a brick. I've done everything. I had stores. I've done everything in the food chain. So I appreciate the fact that so many people are allowed to make money, but it may not always be that way. Yeah. It can change. Just like vacuum cleaner stores are gone. You don't buy from vacuum cleaner stores anymore. 
you know, you buy it a vacuum on Amazon or Sears or wherever. Yep. Footy cards from Australia. Welcome to the show. Deep value investor says, love Brian and his authenticity. He's not scared to share his ideas and strategies. Triple V was looking forward to the discussion, was not disappointed. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Mike Nanya says, licensed or nothing, fair position. And guess Bob, what? And guess what? Yeah. You're, you're going to, you can go complain about the value. When you take that attitude and you don't hold a man, you don't hold any manufacturer to the fire and say, I have another alternative. And the leagues aren't going to help you do that. The leagues are going to be exclusive forever. They will never not be exclusive again. Never. So unless you're going to just say, yes, let me suck the teat and do whatever it is you want me to do. And I'll just be desperately following you around and you call the shots fanatics or Panini or whoever, Upper Deck and Hockey, if you ever want to have any leverage, it's got to be because you create an alternative. And you say, and the greater the alternative could be I'm not going to buy cards anymore. That's a viable alternative too. But if you're insistent on collecting and being part of this community, as soon as you say, you know what? You don't own me. I can do all these other things. That changes everything. So when you say license or nothing, you're never going to have two companies making licensed ever again. Ever. If that's the world you want to live in and you want to be you want to be stuck with one person, whatever they tell you, you say, yes, daddy, can I have another? Man, that's not a good place to be. I, I pity if that's where you're going to sit. I would say I much prefer license. And I hope they don't abuse me because if they do, I might change my position. And they might abuse you, and you might change your position. Rippin' Wax says, Brian, share some very good points. Thought out the live. Great show. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. All right, here, I want to do that. Bobby Baseball says, Brian, if you had one key piece of advice for fanatics, what would it be? And then I'll add, are you willing to give it away to them for free right here, right now? I mean, I, 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 without talking about any conversations I may or may not have had with them, I'll tell you this. They've got a chance to do something groundbreaking. I don't think they've executed as well as they could so far. I think they're missing pieces of the puzzle. I think my biggest advice would be don't harm consumers because they've got a big lawsuit on their hands from Panini. And while I think Panini has a real good chance of winning, the one lawsuit fanatics will not win is a consumer class action that's got some meat behind it because then it's not two businesses fighting over stuff. It's consumers being harmed. And anytime we've had big industry issues with monopolies becoming illegal, monopolies can be legal, but they can also be illegal. I think most of the time it comes down to consumer harm. When consumers are harmed, oh shit. When, when two competitors beat each other up, you can still lose that. But consumers, juries and judges are much, much more concerned about consumers. So my thing with Fanatics is you better win the customers over. And that needs to be unparalleled customer service, wild creativity. Honestly, and again, maybe they're in the process of hiring a couple of people who are seen in the hobby as advocates for the consumer. And if they do that, that would be pretty powerful. I think having a chief hobby officer that was like, a face for the hobby to say fanatics is not the bad guy. Someone who's trusted as being a no nonsense, no BS kind of guy or girl, you know, they, that could be in the process. We don't know what their master plan is, but I would say don't harm. If you harm consumers, this thing's going to blow up for sure. And we could lose the industry. 
that's the number one thing that could ruin the industry would be harming consumers here. All right. Tom Newman says, Brian Gray, you are a goat. The card fanatic says, I like those super CEO cards. I dig BG. I don't care who says what he airs it out like Barkley, you know where you stand. Uh, Bobby Burrell here says card technology and design is at a critical mass. Brian talks concepts that is forward thinking for the future of the industry. Very nice. Very nice. Here, Brian, Simon466 says, won't Fanatics Live choke off all supply to whatnot once they get all the licenses? Two parts. Number one, that's how you lose an antitrust case. So you won't see that. Number two, go look at Backyard Breaks and Bleacher and Swish. It's all repacks. I'm watching right. I got a screen right next to me and it's all repacks on this screen right here. It's all nebulas and kryptonites and it's the whole break is repacks every break all night is repacks they've already prepared for the world without fanatics and guess what if you're a brick and mortar you better prepare too and if you're a distributor you damn sure better prepare there's more people that are going to be out of the food chain pretty soon Mm. so like this is going to change if you're relying on fanatics for your living you could be screwed Kind of like if you're here. I mean, you know you're a redneck if you rely on Fanatics for your supply. Columbia Sports Card says right here, Fanatics will easily keep it for themselves. They aren't looking to drop prices. What do you think of that? Do you think that that if they... That's like saying, saying, Brian lost 50 pounds, but he's going to put 25 back on. Well, like, I did lose the 50 pounds, but how do you know I'm going to put 25 back on? We don't know they're going to keep it for themselves. Most people tend to be greedy and want to. But like, doesn't mean they will. I think it's a little premature to say they're going to keep it for themselves. They could. I think if you change the word will to could, Fanatics could keep it for themselves. They may not be looking to drop prices. That would be a statement I could get behind because they really could. I like to think they're, I like to think they have a desire to see this business grow and not go to shit. Yeah, I hope so. And and again, I, I, I will do anything I can as a retired individual to help see the hobby in a good place, whether it's fanatics make great choices or Panini figure out what the world looks like afterward, or who knows, maybe I'll end up at a, maybe I'll end up working for a grading company or something. Who knows? But like whatever I'm going to do in this business for fun, which will be the 20 hours a week, it's going to be to see it be a better place. And I hope that I can help people like fanatics, Panini, you know, whoever, Wildcard Leaf, whoever, Sage, whoever wants to hear what I have to say, I hope I can help make the hobby a better place, you know, whatever. Card Fanatic says, great show. Always great show, guys. Thank you, Card Fanatics. And Brett, nice comment. No matter the guest, I always learn on your streams. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate that. Ultimate Victory says, is vintage going to die when boomers die? What are your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, we don't say cards or stocks. If I had a sell rating, it would be on vintage that is not the top seven players. If I were buying vintage right now, even though I know some vintage is really cool because it's rare, I would 100% be only comfortable owning Mantle, Aaron, Mays, Koufax, DiMaggio, Ruth, Ty Cobb, maybe Cy Young. I don't go much further. Like there's no world under which I would own um, Alkaline, um, and then it gets worse. Like you look at T cards, like Rube Marquard. Like you can't watch these people play on. There's no film of them playing. 
You know, there's no film of them playing. Jackie Robinson, I saw someone mention. Yeah, Jackie Robinson, for sure. But like Clemente, I say Clemente's in that group. But like, I don't put, you know, um, I'm trying to think of some Reggie. Like Orlando Cepeda or Ralph Kiner. I think we're at a point where 30 or 40 years from now, Reggie Jackson, no one's going to give a flying F about him. But he was in the naked gun. You are. That's his best thing. But you already see people forgetting about Yount and Brett. And like, I sold a huge deal today to a repacker. And the only stuff they didn't take out of my whole deal was like George Brett rookies, um, Molitor Trammels, uh, Ricky Henderson rookies. That's the only thing they wouldn't buy. But I do want to hit Scott Muscat. He's asked the same question 12 times. I would like to, I would like to answer him if we can. How are, how are my anti-exclusive deals, but I signed Lillard and Eichel exclusive? Can I answer that one? Yeah, please. Okay, I answer because he's asked it twelve times, and the man deserves an answer. I haven't time, so I have to apologize. That's I the first time I've seen that question. holds barred, so like I don't hold back. I'll tell you how it is. Okay, here's the deal. We'll start with Lillard. Um, in 2012, when Panini found out I was making basketball, they started signing every player exclusive. Every player, not just one or two players like Wimbanyana. They signed everybody. So first, we started with Anthony Davis. I offered $500,000 for Anthony Davis, which at the time was unheard of. Panini offered the same price, but they had a girl that was friends with him somehow and got him to sign with them. Then, um, oh, who was a, the number two or three pick was a garbage guy. Three names. I forget his name. He's not even worth anything. I offered him 400000 He passed. He took Panini's deal. So, like, Panini signed literally 10 of the top 12 players exclusive. So, I had already committed to buy a bunch of basketball players. So, what did I do? I found one guy that Panini would not pay. They offered Damian Lillard $10 an autograph. I knew he was good. First off, you don't see kids from schools like that getting drafted in the top 10 unless there's something special. They just don't. I knew he was good. And so I took a shot and I offered him $25 for an exclusive. It wasn't that I thought exclusives were good. In fact, I only signed Lillard because Panini signed everyone exclusive. I had to have someone to go with Jeremy Lamb. And I'm Draymond Green, who turned out okay, but he was one of the guys that wasn't exclusive for anybody. You know, there were a few good guys, Kendall Marshall, whoever they were from North Carolina. But, like, we had to sign someone, right? So that's why we signed him. We didn't sign him because we wanted exclusives. I hate exclusives. It was the only way we could try to compete. Jack Eichel is an even better story. Upper deck, locked up, Connor McDavid. We tried to do a deal, no interest. He'd win an upper deck deal. So then I got Eichel. And Eichel said, Brian, I'll do your deal because I told Eichel, I'm going to make you my guy. You're always going to be second to Connor McDavid for upper deck, but you're going to be my guy. And he did the deal with us. So then to show you how little I am concerned about exclusives, I went to upper deck. And I said, upper deck, I want to sell you Jack Eichel autographs and I want you to sell me some Connor McDavid's. Let's share these things and give collectors a choice. And the answer was, not only no, but Brian, how dare you sign Eichel? You're not allowed to sign exclusives because you don't have a license. And I said, are you kidding me? Hold on. You're telling me that it, I'm, shame on me for signing an exclusive, but it's cool that you sign one because you have the license. And But the point was, our goal was not to sign a player so I couldn't have him. Our goal was to make sure that we got to bring our collectors, Connor and Eichel. And if we didn't get to bring them Connor, they didn't get to bring him Eichel. But it was really just to create a check and balance. 
and to show them that we're not messing around. And it didn't work the next year because the players ended up sucking. But we took Nico Hishie and Nolan Patrick, picks one and two when exclusive with Leaf and did not do upper deck. That was more about showing upper deck that you can't be a bully and come sign every player and think that we're not going to, we're going to just roll over and let you, you know, kick us around like a piece of garbage. We're standing up for ourselves. Even then I offered to work something out with them to try to be friendly. And you just can't be friendly with people who don't want to be friendly. So well, here, but again, I don't believe it. I don't care. Same guy. Same. He, he says here, taking players away from licensed card companies is absurd. I don't blame Upper Deck. Jeremy, I mean, again, I'm just looking at this from a logical perspective. Let me think of a let me think of a great and way. I, to and I'm just letting you talk. I could I could speak to this too, but I'm letting you do it. Well, I know as a purist, you like seeing the play. Well, listen, they had cards in Upper Deck. They just didn't have autographs. So here's what I'll tell you. Are you prepared to boycott? As a, Brian, let me let me just hold on. As a collector, yeah, I don't like it. But as a realist, being pragmatic, I understand why you did it. Well, how about this? If you believe, you. if you believe that what we did was horrible, then I think you should do a couple of things. Number one, you must boycott fanatics tomorrow. They not only stole Wimbanyana from Panini, they also signed Bryce Young. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Levis exclusive away from Panini. You should boycott them right now. Then you need to go boycott Upper Deck because they stole Ben Simmons from Panini and took a licensed player away. And then you have to boycott Panini because they just signed uh, a Dylan Cruz exclusive or whatever it is. My point is it's happening and sometimes it's even predatory when these companies are doing it. Now, it was never predatory with us. The gist is when there's no competition in the marketplace, sometimes this is the only way we can have competition. And you can say, see, the problem is Scott is probably a pajama. He hates pajama cards. He wants a licensed only product. And so what I say is, yes, if you want to be, if you want to succumb to whatever they tell you, and look what's happened. If you go look at Upper Deck hockey cards, and I'm not being mean, how many great veteran autographs are you pulling out of Upper Deck hockey these days? Out of the average product, not cup, but average product. 98% of your autographs are rookies because they're cheap. That's what happens when you have an exclusive with no competition. That's what happens. And I'm hey, just hold on. I Phil Phil Dodd just put in for you forgot to mention Upper Deck stealing Jordan and, and LeBron, but didn't well, they have them before? I think LeBron is now. But did they? Player. But didn't Upper Deck have them before Panini even came into the market? Yes, but like they didn't have to keep stealing. They could have sold Panini autographs. If what we want to do is really make sure collectors get the license card of whoever, total bullshit. The reality is, yes, collectors, we care about you. I care about you. But at the end of the day, ninety nine percent of people in this business. It's a business. Fanatics, Panini, Leaf, Sage, Wildcard, Superglow, Rittenhouse, Kekwow, you know, uh, Magic, any of these things. Pokemon, it's all a business. You, my friends, are a necessary collateral concern because you're the customer. They have to keep you in mind a little bit, but it's a business at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I listen to me, Brian. I, I say it like this. People are saying it's not a hobby anymore. It's it, it's not a hobby if you decide for it not to be a hobby for you. Personally, it's my hobby still. 
but I also understand that it's my hobby within an industry and it is capitalism and there are profit oriented companies. Oh, almost exclusively every company in the space is profit oriented. So if you, if you don't like that and you can't find a way for yourself to have your hobby within this industry, Okay. Then you got to ask yourself, what are you doing here? Yeah, I'm in the wrong place. We got to take two more of these I'm reading because I love some of these comments. Okay, which one do you want to do? do? He asked about Ari Lehman in Pop Century, the guy that played Jason. Who who's the who wrote the question? Dropping cards at 11.02. Can Brian speak to, at all to what happened with Ari Lehman's autographs? Would love to hear what happened from his perspective. I don't see it. I don't Dropping see it. cards at 11.02. So basically, Ari Lehman played Jason in the Friday the 13th movies. He was got in it. Century, he signed stickers. He signed them at the at the Orlando card show that was a total bomb, where Acuna and him signed. I think Acuna was that show, and Wander was that show. Poor Wander, rest in peace, his career. But um, but yeah, so Acuna, Wander, Ari Lehman, a bunch of guys were there. It was a bomb show, but he signed stickers for us at that show. So then he saw his cards come out in Pop Century, and he was like, "I didn't sign those cards." It's like no shit, you signed stickers, but the guy immediately came out and said they were forgeries before asking. Well, you may have noticed he's backed down completely since because he signed a sworn affidavit from us. He signed the stickers and he got paid. So, again, a lot of times there's confusion. We had that happen with them. Um, who was it before that one of the wrestling people said, I never signed those cards. And I was like, hey, Buff Bagwell, whoever it was, you signed the stickers. He was like, oh, I didn't realize those were stickers on the cards. I was about to say, I never saw that card before. How could I have signed it? So, you know, it's stuff like that. But, yeah, 100% he signed and that's why you saw him back down. We got to take the next one by Ancash too. I love this one too. This caring for customers PR stick is BS. The one right after that. I love this. What a great comment. Number one, this is why Big Brian No Holds Barred is so awesome. I don't give a shit what you think of caring for customers. It's not PR stick. I don't owe you anything. I owed you stuff like four months ago when I leave. I owe you nothing now. When I say that we need to care about customers, it's because I'm a freaking customer. You get that? I'm a customer, just like you. And you may not want to stand up and say, we need to be cared about, but I'm telling you, people should care about you. You should not just be a number on a spreadsheet. And that's all you are about three quarters of the time. And there are good people at companies who do care about the consumer. I have friends at Panini that I, I know actually care about the consumer. I'm talking about the companies. So I wouldn't say it's PR shtick. When I own Leaf, that would have been a better criticism because you would expect me to say that, although I really did care about the customer. That would have been a better time to make such a statement. Today, I would say the BS is acting like I care. I really should not care about any of this. I can tell all you guys look at the scoreboard. But the reality is, as a customer, I demand manufacturers care about me. And that includes the one I used to own. I buy Leaf products. They do a good job. If they ever don't do a good job and they do me dirty, I'm going to expect them to make it right. The same way I'd tell Panini Tops Upper Deck to make me right. So, like, it's not BS. It's reality. And now I get to say it, and you can't question me the way you could have four months ago. Four months ago, you could have said, oh, he has to say that. He owns a company. Of course it's BS. Guess what? I don't own a company now. I'm saying it because you should care enough about yourself to demand people care about you. Next. Next. <laughs> okay, let's let's go on. Good good stuff. Uh Louie here says we all collected cards as kids and loved the heck out of it, but now that we're all grown up, I think we're starting to ruin it and take that young kid fun out of it. Not me, Louie. 
I, f- I will find a way no matter what this hobby throws at me, what this industry throws me as far as its landscape, no matter what companies have, what licenses, I will find a way to exist in it and to always enjoy my hobby within this greater hobby. Jeremy Fout says, why do I need to learn a new language to buy cards? Kryptonites and nebulas and nonsense and nonsensical re- nonsense. Repack trash, he says. Uh, Joe Perot says, great advice to fanatics. Don't harm customers. But has the damage already been done? Brian, what do you think? I think the hobby is like the human body. You know, they say the human body can repair itself in so many ways that you almost, in a short time, almost cannot do irreparable harm. Now, like if you drink like Mickey Mantle, eventually your liver can't fix itself. But like if you drink for five years, your body can repair itself. Your lungs can repair themselves from a limited amount of smoking, whatever it is. I think the hobby is the same way. Listen, this hobby's been through a lot. It's amazing how resilient this hobby has been. To me, that's the best evidence that we're not going anywhere in the short term. Is we've been through much worse times than we've gone through in the last year or two. And the amount of cards being sold now is still staggering. It's billions and billions of dollars. Tops is going to do over half a billion dollars in baseball cards alone this year. Half a billion in baseball alone. Like, for a minute, it's the damage has not been done too much. But if we continue to alienate customers and make them numbers on a spreadsheet, eventually, as more and more of them get to a stage in life where it's not live and die by baseball cards, like I'm kind of finally at, we can say no. We can just say, sorry, out. Peace out. Yeah. And I think that's the risk. I don't think the damage can make it irreparable. I just think we may lose all the customers that have been loyal to the business. And we got to keep finding new customers. People are going to get turned off if they're not seeing value in what they're buying. It's hard right now. It's hard. Colin Murray says vintage will always sell regardless of future value. Uh, Bobby Burrell follows up with this. I think this is a really insightful comment. When vintage drops as boomers will, other than the top seven, it will come back because it will get to the point of being cheap enough to build sets again. I think that's really looking forward right there. It's it's a forward-thinking thing. The problem is you have to have people buying new products to have new people interested in vintage that weren't interested before. True. Like, right. How do we get Brody the kid? And again, he's not really a kid anymore. He's a big-ass guy now. But like, how do we get Brody to lose his interest for the NFL and start buying 56 tops and put together a set where he doesn't know if Rip Rapolsky is a comedian or a St. Louis Cardinal. Like, this is the problem is, do you really are you ever really going to collect a set where you don't know anything about 90% of the players in the set? That's a question. Yeah. And it's a legit question. The other problem is the barriers to entry in building these vintage sets. Listen, it's never going to get cheap enough that you're going to buy high-grade copies at Peanuts. Those days are over. So again... In the world where building a 52 top set means you got to buy a nice path go for $30,000 or $20,000, $15,000, and no one knows who Andy Pathco is unless you built 52 tops or know the set, or maybe you're a diehard fan. But, you know, it's, I just don't think we get those people back. I think we lose a lot of them. That's why you're right about, I think it comes back to the the key Hall of Famers, the people who are the, because it comes. It comes down to history, and people are always going to care about history. They're going to care about the seven, the sweet seven or ten or whatever it is. Yep, yep, agreed. 
Uh, Scott here says, uh, oh, no, we did that on T. So Jones, yeah, it's called capitalism. We did see that comment already. Uh, says, can we bring up whatnot and TikTok? I sell on both, and the sales 100% are getting very close. He follows up here, Brian. Wants to, what are your thoughts on seeing TikTok become whatnot's top competitor? The sales are getting very close. I sell on both, not to mention fees are very different. Whatnot spending big on ads on TikTok. What are your thoughts on this TikTok yeah, whatnot? I just signed up for a TikTok shop so that I can stream on TikTok. Um, possible. I could see myself maybe doing that. I think what's happening is the people on whatnot that have huge followings are going to continue to dominate everything. The problem is, and again, I can bring it to six accounts. I mean, it's basically Backyard Bleacher, KK, um, Cardboard 47, um, I mean, there's really, you can bring it to seven or eight accounts on whatnot in the card space that dominate the category. And outside of those, it's a bunch of people fighting for scraps because all the eyeballs are there. I mean, like I started streaming on KK and I'm doing two shows in January, keep an eye, uh, auction shows where I do a four or five hour auction show on KK. They have 77,000 followers. I'm getting triple the traffic that I was getting when I was doing it under my account. You know, and so I'm finding our collaboration with them has been huge because... They've got the eyeballs. But if you're a little guy, who, and listen, it was hard for me to build a customer base and people know who I am. Imagine if you're a small store trying to build a customer base on whatnot today, it's impossible. You have five people in your room. So yeah, and I mean, even Backyard, they're on TikTok. I mean, a bunch of guys are. So what TikTok's been very good about is much more reasonable fees. They've given you a reason to want to be there. But again, I think you're taking some risk because again, you're dealing with an entity that could disappear tomorrow. You know, because the government is trying to find a way to get TikTok off of every phone in America because they think security risk. I mean, again, I think what might happen is you may see whatnot become more competitive on pricing to try to get people to come back and focus there. I think the hard part's going to be how Fanatics Live is going to make real inroads. Dude Perfect was a great idea. I loved it. I think it's a phenomenal thing because that's how we're going to grow the hobby. Now, we're not going to 10x, like Michael Rubin said, the amount of dollars spent in the hobby with Dude Perfect. But the number of people that can collect, that's why I want to make the AI cards and why I want them to have Dude Perfect on them. Why I want, because we can 10X the number of collectors. We can't 10X the money because if I get someone to buy a Taylor Swift card, they're not going to go buy a $2,000 box at Affinitive. Like, that's not realistic. But we can 10X the number of people. And the way to do that is through things that people might actually collect. Mm. Stuff that's fun, novelty, interesting. And I think, you know... I think that's part of it. So it's, it's interesting. Who knows? A couple of questions here. Vintage Card Collector says, Brian, what are a few keys you are looking at when you believe it's time to be bullish again, like you mentioned earlier with the Bowman, 51 Bowman mantle? It. I need to see, and this is really bad because it's, I don't know if it's going to happen. I need to see the most staunch believers give up. That's what you need to see in the stock market too. Like right now... <laughs> Everybody is bullish except for a handful of famous bears like uh, Michael Blurry from the big short. Like he's still a bear. He thinks this market's going to implode. When Michael Burry turns positive, that's when the market will implode. You've got to turn the last naysayer. you got to get them to flip. So once the vintage gurus are starting to get nervous and worried, that'll be the time. The that'll same be the, way. That'll be the floor. That'll be the floors when you see the biggest naysayers start to get scared. And then look at this. When the market peaked, you had guys that thought new cards were garbage 
auction houses that specialized in vintage. Like REA all of a sudden had all these brand new cards in their auctions. They were always a vintage house. You see a bunch of brand new shiny stuff there. That's when you knew you hit the top because even the most staunch advocates of only buying vintage and staying away from the new shiny stuff, they were all dealing in new shiny stuff. No, you couldn't find anyone that said cards were a horrible investment. Even the guys that didn't have this everything's going to go up mentality were like, yeah, things are doing pretty good. Can't complain. They're scared to say anything negative because they're going to be wrong most of the time. Simon here, Brian. Simon says, as someone who has had to deal with autographs, how much more time and work is it to get on-card autographs versus stickers? Yeah, and this this I hate because that's one of the places that I feel I'm disappointed in what I was able to get done at LEAF. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, Because I wanted to do on-card. We can't do it. It's impossible. Because here's the thing. We were getting the biggest names in the world to sign at LEAF. Like when Panini couldn't get Giannis to sign, we had Giannis. When you know we just got names that you couldn't get any other way than the way we were getting them. And the thing is, you had to get a bunch signed at one time. Sometimes it was on two days notice. Like when we got Michael B. Jordan for Pop Century recently, we had four days notice to get him. So if we didn't do stickers, we weren't getting them. Well, it's like you can't print the cards. And then let's say we're going to make we're going to do Giannis and we do a thousand or two thousand autographs. We can't print and, and all of our cards are numbered to 10, 5, 8, 7. What are we going to do? Print 20 sets worth of Giannis cards at once for one signing? Like, we can't build products that way. So in order to make things ultra rare and keep things in ultra limited quantities, we had to do stickers. And it sucks. Now, the good news is I can name a bunch of really good cards that you better be careful if you own them. For example, 2009 Bowman Mike Trout's autographs. That's a good card, right? It's an iconic card. If you look carefully, a lot of those autographs are starting to fade. Look at the pool hole stuff from 01. Almost all pool hoses upper deck stuff looks horrible. Horrible. We even at Leaf 2012 metal uh, 2011 metal football, the Cam Newton year. I had a guy one time send in an Andy Dalton. He said, Hey, this card never got signed. Can you fix it? And I looked in under high power light, the ink disappeared. They used a different pen. We used a different pen that year. We used a, a Bic marker instead of a Statler, and the ink just disappears. Look at sweet spot cards with that. Look at all these different cards over the years that have horrible autographs. Hell, look at some of the new products where the autographs are getting jacked up on the card. They've signed them and they're already fading or smeared or whatever. That doesn't happen with stickers. I hate to tell you, sticker autographs hold up better. Again, as a purist, I wish people would. I wish the player would have touched my card. Yeah, I get that. But I also want value. And the ability to have a card that's going to have ink on it 10 years from now makes me feel a lot better. And there's a lot of cards with fading ink. A lot. I've noticed that the the new Topps products, like the, the Bowman uh, the, with the chrome finish, the ink stays on the ink. At the age these cards are at now, it's laid down beautifully. Like it looks like that ink is there for, for quite some time. But I guess time, time will tell us. Mike, as Mike Petty here says, Bic pens fade. T dot here says cards is a fun but cold market, and I don't see it like I'm not seeing the coldness of the market. I don't wherever values are, values are, but I feel like there's a lot of people that are still having a great time in the hobby right now. From what I'm seeing at the shops I'm going into, the shows I'm going to, there's tons of money being spent right now. There is no shortage of money. 
And I think there, I think, I think there's a lot of interest as well. Even that the, the expo in Toronto in November, the most kids I'd ever seen at a show. I, I think that's a good sign. Uh, Jeff Hart says, agree. There's so much history to buy plenty of ways to enjoy the hobby and cash follows up and says, my comment was directed to the companies. They don't actually care about it the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, they that's claim. Right. I knew cash too. I didn't think cash would be calling me out, but I yeah, I, a lot of companies do give lip service. And some don't, though. Like, I'm telling you, I know guys at Panini, and I know everyone says Panini doesn't care. They do this, this, and this. I promise you, I texted one of my friends at Panini today just to say Happy New Year, see how things are going. This guy cares about the business. I swear to you. And not just the business, the customers. Like, he is vehemently committed to taking care of customers. So... Just a second. Let's don't let's don't throw out the bathwater and say that these companies don't care as a blanket statement. They can do things that seem insensitive or less thoughtful or less, you know, attentive to the consumer than we want it to be. But by no means are they, um, you know, trying to, you know, just give lip service across the board. I don't think that's a fair statement. Okay, Minnesota Sports Car Junkie follows up what I was just saying. Seeing young kids working deals on cards at the Toronto Expo was refreshing to see. Great lessons learned from wins and losses that extend to other aspects in life. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, I, I think that the hobby is, is, is a, a great environment. It, it, take away the gambling aspect of it. And even if these kids are smart and, and recognize that and stay away from some of that, I think it's a great environment to negotiate with adults face to face. Bill, that's for sure. Yeah, I think so. I think for sure. TDOS says followers are the new world economy. Like probe scene gets top dollars. Followed e- followers equals trust and legitimacy, which is there's a lot of fake followers out there too. Vintage card collector says Brian, your thoughts on the trend of getting vintage rookie cards signed, especially higher grade copies, not beat up ones. Love it. Love it. I still think there's opportunity. And I do that a lot. That's one of the things in retirement I've been buying. And again, less vintage really, but I'm starting to buy vintage. I've been doing way more buying unique stuff to get signed because I just, what I found honestly is, and you, this applies to new stuff too. Like getting kabooms and color blast signed. Like no one does that because they're scared as hell to ruin great cards or that they might be ruining great cards. If you have a Giannis color blast signed by Giannis, like in green, and that card's a PSA 1010, you're getting a number that's going to blow your freaking mind. Never mind good vintage, where you actually getting your, um, I'm trying to think of a vintage person that's still alive. So many of them have died off now. But like, let's say you're getting um, Roger Staubach on a 72 tops, and he, he's not doing too well either. So he won't be signing much longer. But even then, getting a 72 Staubach and a seven or eight signed versus what most people do, they go buy threes and fours that are dog shit to get signed. I mean, really nice ones are really nice, and they're worth something. You know, they're worth having in high grade. And then you'll see the prices are out of this world because no one – and that's why I know guys, that when they get Griffey to sign rookies, like I just bought cheap Griffeys for 50 bucks on eBay. These guys are going out buying PSA 10s for 3000 cracking them out, getting them signed, and resubbing them, trying to 10-10 them again. Mm-hmm. Like that's ballsy. But when you hit, it's 15000 Right. So it's like that's that's a new game, and you're right, vintage card collector. That's a whole new game, and it's getting bigger and bigger. The professor says, "What do you think about the new owners of Leaf using automated grading services like Tag to demonstrate quality of the card 
before it goes into a sealed holder, like a leaf sealed holder. Again, they'll do what they want to do now because I'm obviously not involved at all. But again, I think what TAG does is quite interesting. And in full disclosure, you know, Leaf is an investor in TAG. Um, I will tell you that I think the challenge is as these technologies are continuing to roll up and they're growing a company there, they don't have time either to screen every card Leaf makes. Nor does Leaf have time to run every card through a machine to be able to, before they come out, we can barely... We, we could barely get stuff out as fast as we wanted to already. Now, with that being said, what LEAF has done that I think other companies should do is LEAF guarantees a minimum grade for replacement. And if the company and the person disagree about that grade, we would use a third party like Beckett Raw Card Review to determine the grade by which we based our customer service on. That has value. And maybe down the line, it's tagged that we say, hey, tag scores of 700 or higher meet our customer service standard. And, and once the machines are out there, eventually we'd love to, you know, we'd love to have a machine here in Dallas. Maybe we will at some point, whether it's at Leaf or somewhere else, where you can have your cards graded remotely from these locations. That can be really practical for customer service someday. I think it's not a bad idea, but that's going to be on the, on the grading company also to make it an easy relationship like Beckett has for Leaf. Any predictions into 2024? We're going to we're going to wind up the show. We're almost at two and a half hours, Brian, but we got 200 people with us. We got over 200 people with us across all the platforms right now. So I don't want to uh, I don't want to wrap it up quite yet. But uh, before I actually here's a question just comes in on Instagram. Uh, the, the Uber collector asks, what do you consider Leaf's finest and most collectible product if you had to choose one year and product? Finest and most collectible product. Um, to me, I think I'll pull out Pop Century first. I think Pop Century will go down as being one of the most important product sets ever released over a 10-year period. Because I am convinced that Fanatics and Panini are going to put massive resources behind entertainment. And I think the focus that's going to go into entertainment is going to be at a level to where you're going to crap your pants. Like, I think you're going to see these companies go full board. And if they don't, they're fools. That's where this business is going to grow. is in the Because it appeals to everyone all over the world. And so the, the, the addressable market is so much bigger than American sports. It's silly. Um, so with that being said, I think that's going to be the most important group of products, but I don't want to put those in the sports side. Um, I will tell you, I think for Leaf, the crowning achievement was probably the very first Pearl set. Pearl multi-sport. Um, and I'll tell you why. And Greg was so instrumental behind this. Um, it really was the first time, and or, or maybe it was Oval Office when I made Oval Office. It's one of these sets, Oval Office, or it could be Pearl, which Greg did amazing on. I did Oval Office. I think these products established, or Q, or these products established that an unlicensed or player licensed product could be a one or $2,000, $3,000 box. Like we never had a $3,000 box of cards from an unlicensed company. It was unthinkable, but like with the right autograph content and the right quality and the right scarcity and all the pieces coming at beautiful cards, all the pieces fitting in place. And to me, that is why the legitimacy, 
long-term of unlicensed, I have no fear about that space. As Panini may end up being in that space. When they lose their licenses, they may be the next leaf. With well, their I, I want brands. I, just, I think those are the products you're going to look back and say those were groundbreaking and that they paved the way for unlicensed or player license to approach the high end. Never been done before and may never have ever gotten done had Leaf not done it. Let, let's move Let's move forward. 2024, it's right around the corner, two days from now. I wanted to get your thoughts on any predictions, any consolidations, any any partnerships you see coming out between different companies in, in, in the hobby, in the industry. Uh, and But start with Panini, please. What What is in store for Panini's future? as far as Panini America goes, once they have no more license? Again, my 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 situation is purely speculative. I have no inside information. I don't work for Panini. I'm not a consultant for them, nor am I with Fanatics. I just, I'm just giving you opinions. Mm-hmm. Panini has two strategies they can employ. There's two different routes they can take. Number one is when the licenses are gone, you go full-blown leaf. Caution of the wind. And can you imagine Panini doing leaf with panini brands like that could be deadly very strong and they get their money they make would be insane because when you don't pay in the leagues all that money your margins go up tremendously they'd kill it um now the other option is you don't go that route you stay friendly with the leagues you don't cross over you don't do anything wrong because what if things don't work out with fanatics like everyone thinks they're gonna or like fanatics will tell you they will they want to be there because if the thing falls apart, they can pick up the pieces. Yeah. Now, they have those two distinct routes. I don't know which one they're going to take. I tend to think they might go the distinguished route, but that will definitely cut their profits. You know, they'll make way less money that way. If they became a leaf, it'd be deadly what they could make. They could make a lot. What are your what are your big predictions? Not for what players are going to get hot or what cards are going to go up in value. What are your predictions for the the hobby this coming year? We we had a lot of news this year. We had a, we've had a lot of news every year. For the past several years, what is your big prediction? What are your predictions going into 2024? I think the big ones, I, I do not think you'll see any kind of Panini Fanatics marriage or deal. I think they're going to trial. So I think that's still two years away the trial. But I think anyone who predicts this is your Panini and Fanatics get married or they take over the licenses early, this is a war. This is going all the way. This lawsuit, if that courtroom does not packed every day with hobby people, I'll be shocked. The minute I find out when the trial is, I'll be booked there with Paul Lesko to broadcast live like court TV outside the venue. But so there will be no marriage. The war is going to get worse. What about elsewhere outside of Panini and Fanatics? I mean, outside of that, I would say nosebleed cards are an avoid at all cost. I think we're going to see much more pain there. I think the nosebleed cards are much, much, much more painful than we've seen so far. I can see a retracement on high end stuff another 30, 40, 50% very easily. Commodity stuff, as long as repacks keep doing what they're doing, I think it'll be a slow bleed. I, I think assets will continue to depreciate a little bit this next year, probably. But more of that is my global concern about the economy and about the fact the stock market's been go-go gadget, even in the face of huge interest rates and inflation. That is counterintuitive. It doesn't work that way. Long-term, it's gonna, there's going to be a price to pay. So I do think these assets could devalue. With that being said, if you don't mind taking a little gamble, and obviously hobby people are not immune to gambling, there will be opportunities. You just got to have the balls to say, screw it. Justin Herbert's not done. Right. 
But again, the assets haven't retraced enough to, for it to be so compelling that you've got a monster upside. No one knows what the upside is anymore because we're looking at a chart from COVID. So we don't really know what the real ceiling is. We do know the floor because we saw that. But like, we don't really know what the chart should look. It's not like when the chart's out of control. Like, you can't really think, oh, well, the high was this. Well, that, that high doesn't matter. You, you have such a really a narrow range. I just think we're going to see a continual trend down. For me, I wouldn't be a long-term investor in cards. I would tell people, buy what you like. Enjoy it. If you want to buy cases and have fun and break and do these things you want to do, it's great. If you're really looking for long-term value, you know, I'd probably buy guys that are the next group of goats. Like, I mean, I think at this stage, I would probably look at guys that are close to going in the Hall of Fame that have under underappreciated rookie cards. Like, I mean, honestly, guys, like, this sounds so stupid, but like buying like Bowman Chrome, Adrian Beltre, PSA 10s. Like, this guy's very, very good. He's going to go in with like high 90s percent on Adrian Beltre. He will probably be a top four or five all-time Hall of Fame vote percentage guy. And his rookie card's $150 in a PSA. I mean, like, there's no world under – 97 Bowman Chrome wasn't like there's like a gazillion cards out there. Like, so like there's stuff like that, but it's like, you really want to buy and hold that? For me, it's more like looking and saying, okay, Prism Golds. When Prism's not around anymore, are those going to become iconic cards like PMGs? Are downtowns and kabooms? What do you think? Are these cards? I think they have a real chance. I do. I Like to me, I would have no problem. Now, again, there's so much, so many parallels. You got to pick one. I think Prism Golds, I can get my arms around. I can I can get my arms around Kabooms and Downtowns, even though there seem to be a lot of 2023 Downtowns relative to previous years. It feels like Kabooms and Downtowns and Color Blast, those are going to stick. And I think, so there's two ways to play. You buy the Panini assets that are going to disappear and people are going to miss. Look how much refractors have gone up while Tops couldn't make refractors anymore. Mm-hmm. When these things are gone, I think you're going to see people come running to them. And then part two is, what things in the old Tops universe are going to get better because they start making them again? And I think old refractors, like buying all the old Brady's and Rogers and Manning's refractors, I love that. Jordans are already very expensive, but why not go buy like the, the uh, 93, 94 Shaq refractors and the rookie Grand Hill refractors and the rookie. There's a lot of good rookie refractors you can buy from that old air garden. You know, there's a lot of good refractors you can buy. And here, so here, Brian, Skeppy just put this one, this question up. He says, so Al Kaline is out, but Adrian Beltre is good to collect. Do you well, want to address off, that? This is, a, this is, again, a bad question. Nothing personal. It, it's a bad question because I can't tell you what's good to collect. What's good to collect is what you like. Collecting is, is by its very nature, su- uh, subjective. Now, from an objective standpoint, Less collectors today know who Al Kaline is than did 10 years ago. And in 10 years, less will know. Now, I do agree, Adrian Beltre, in 10 years, less will have seen him play and less will know him. But there's plenty of video on Adrian Beltre. The thing is, again, I don't love Adrian. I'm not saying Adrian Beltre is a GOAT. What I'm saying is it's an undervalued asset. It's underappreciated. People don't realize that that card is not overly plentiful. It's still cheap relative. It's just cheap. Again, that's not – I wouldn't invest in sports card right now. I would be staying away from all sports cards right now because, again, I think assets will get cheaper. People who collect – that's a great comment Mike just said. K-Line and Beltre collectors should buy K-Line and Beltre. There you go. <laughs> you know, that's what you should buy. And, again, yeah. 
I have no problem. If you want to go buy a nice Ryan rookie and own it, there's nothing wrong with that. You want to go buy a nice Seaver rookie? You want to go buy a nice Henderson, like nice Henderson's or Montana's? To me, honestly, the best values in the market now are probably like 86 tops rice and sevens and eights. 81 tops Montana's and seven. You can buy eight Montana's for 250. Like that's an iconic card, even though it's unlicensed. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's unlicensed, it's an iconic card. Like to me, if you insist on buying stuff to hold, that feels pretty good, doesn't it? Like doesn't 81 tops, if you're a hockey guy, doesn't buying Lemieux tops eights at 250 feel like a good buy? Or like yeah. Walls at 150 for eights or whatever they are? Like yeah. these are the iconic guys and they're affordable. Like it just feels like they're the goats and these are affordable, easy to buy rookie cards that I cannot see them being half what they are today. Yeah, it, I think I think it just has to do with, you know, you have to obviously take into account population and print run and all that. And that's why they are affordable because there there's enough supply out there. Well, for, but for there's no supply today. Right. Agreed. There's a lot Agreed. of things that look very plentiful that end up not being plentiful. I want to do this con. Richard Goring probably left, but says, great show, fellas. Even though I don't agree 100% with Brian, I appreciate what he has done for the hobby and his thoughts for the future. Very interesting show. Have a great night. Thank you for that as well. Very nice. And Ultimate Victories asked this one a couple times. Will Barry Bonds be worth anything? Brian, your thoughts? See, again, I'm not, I don't price, someone mentioned Beltre too. I don't price in Hall of Fame bumps. What I look more at is will people look at a player and change their perspective? If Bonds were to get in, I do believe people might change their perspective. If the steroid guys were decriminalized, so to speak, like marijuana, which was so bad a few years ago, now it's everywhere, it's decriminalized. If Barry Bonds was dehumiliated and de-punished, I could see people buying him. Again, I think with Beltre, it's just going to bring awareness. But again, there's 50 other things that can create awareness. That like, again, Travis Kelsey stuff has gone up a lot this year. And his play's been good, but Taylor's better. (laughs) And like things happen that change how people collect and change your perspective. If Wander had not been chased down by the police this week and he was back in the league, he'd be great. Giddy is probably going to be okay. He's probably not going to get in trouble. Giddy is probably a buy here. You know, but like, again, we have to look at what's going to change consumer behavior. And when that changes consumer behavior, then it can impact the value of all these guys. And I love Ken Golden too. He's a great dude. Ken, Ken Golden says, we love Brian. And as far as Bonds, he is the greatest hitter of all time. I remember seeing the greatest hitter. He's the best home run hitter, maybe. The best but hitter I, I just is probably I, George do you remember? Williams. Did you see, did you see when, when, Ken did an Instagram live with Barry Bonds. I mean, that, that was, that was pretty epic. That was right great. There. I love that. I love I Ken. That was, that was, that was very cool. A zombie line here says, Brian, what is your Cowboys helmet sitting behind your head? Who, what's that? That is it. Uh, let me see what it is. I think it's that uh, Emmett. He wrote two BG from one goat to another. There you go. Good stuff. What's, <laughs> what's cooler is the uh, Super Bowl helmet over there is a uh, Madonna signed full size. Oh boy. Signed full-size helmet of Madonna from the year she did the halftime show. That's got to be like a pop one or two. Who's going to ever see Madonna with a full-size helmet? That's pretty no. sick. Any other, Brian, Any before we wrap up, any other predictions for the industry slash hobby for next year? 
I mean, I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see very little consolidation. I think when we see consolidation, like we've seen a lot of companies get bought up like mine, which I think if you didn't sell in 2022 or 2023, you might've missed the window. If we see consolidation now, it's going to be need-based. We didn't have to sell Leaf. We Leaf is still going to make a lot of money this year. Um, you're going to see need-based consolidation if you see consolidation. Companies that realize they just can't go it on their own. And I think you could see it in the grading space. You could see it in the autograph authentication space. You could see it in the manufacturing space, potentially. Probably not in the manufacturing space, but potentially. You could see, I mean, there's there's places you could see it. So I think the consolidation rush we saw where everyone was getting bought, that's over. I think some deals that were done previously may get unwound. You may see companies like Beckett divest assets. You may see PSA divest assets. You may see, you may see asset divestment coming up because they bought things that may not fit their business or they may have made some appreciation on it. And they want to cash it back out. That's part of buying businesses is you buy them, you doll them up and you turn them a lot of times. Um, and so I think you could see some selling that way. So I, I think this rush of like, oh, every company's getting bought up in the business. That rush is over now. I may have been the last one. Maybe ComC's investment from eBay. I mean, there's those are some of the last ones, I think. Um, I think the bigger, the bigger prediction for this year is Fanatics has a chance to be the greatest thing that ever happened in this industry or the worst thing. And I think the next 12 months, we're going to come out of this knowing which it is. Mm, interesting. And I'm scared Fanatics won't do what it takes. And I'm not just saying that because I think I could help them, but I think with a few smart people added to what they've already got, which is a bunch of smart people, but having like real people that are like real hobby people who are like not just veterans from other companies, but have been on the ground, like on the ground in every level. And more recently, man, I think, I think it would be very smart of them to do that. And how Panini adapts will be obvious. That, that's going to be the best stories of the year, Panini and Fanatics. How are they going to adapt to a changing world? Right. And Fanatics, I think that my biggest prediction is I think at the end of 12 months, it will be official if Fanatics is the best or worst thing to ever happen to the business. And I think, so, yeah. it, will be, I think it will be one or the other. I do not think there is a middle ground. So there you have it. Next if year, the worst, if it's the worst, then I would not recommend buying cards at all because the industry will be at risk. But I think I, I know Michael Rubin. I consider him a friend. And I will tell you, I think he's smart enough to do what he needs to do here. And it's not going to be easy to do what he needs to do. But if he can, if he can do it, I think he can. I think he can prove to the hobby that he cares and that he's not a hit and runner and he's here for the long run. Do you th do you think he's listening to the right people? Do you think he has the right people in his uh, in his I corner right now? Has some good people there. I don't mean smart people. I mean, and I don't. I don't I mean, mean people that come from other. I don't mean mar genius marketers that come from other companies. I mean people who understand this very unique hobby. Again, I would like to see them announce a chief hobby officer who has the biggest breadth of knowledge in the industry and has the ability to help be a voice of the hobby in those offices. Not just the business of the hobby, but the hobby. Someone that could actually be at Fanatics who could also represent the consumer inside that building. And that's going to be a hard thing to do because very few people will stand up to a powerful leader like Michael Rubin. But if that unique person exists who could go in there and make a difference, that'd be interesting. And again, I say the same thing at Panini. This is their chance to get wildly creative. And I think the same thing happens at Leaf. 
me leaving, it's a great opportunity for them because now they can make Leaf their own instead of the Brian Gray show, which was a circus. It didn't need to be the Brian Gray show. It turned out that way. Those guys are really talented. Let's see what they do with the ability to go more corporate, quit doing some of the crazy stuff I did. I did crazy stuff because I think the hobby needed it. They may not think so. All right. So this is this is so fast. I just can't wait. I do know one thing. Jeremy Lee will be here to talk about it. Whatever. I will be here. I will be here. I'll have you back a year from now. We'll find out. Well, hopefully it's not a whole year. I'm not really relevant anymore, though. So probably, probably unless something big happens, who knows? Maybe we'll have you back in between, but we'll have you back a year from now and we'll figure out what the fate of Fanatics was and what the fate of the hobby is at that point in time. And if I'm dressed in a black suit with a pitchfork and I'm the Grim Reaper, you'll know that. And if I'm wearing a party hat and singing 1999 from Prince, you'll know celebrate from Cool and the Gang, you'll know it's a good thing. Definitely. Here, Joe Pro says, good on Brian for prioritizing health and family. Enjoy your well-earned respite from running a company. Vocabulary. I like respite. Yeah, not bad. Not well, Joe's Joe's a smart fella. Happy New Year to you, Skeppy. Vintage Card Collector says, Brian should be a quarterly guest. Happy New Year to you. Ripping Wax. Really appreciate the comments. And Cash, thanks for being here. Good to see you, pal. Albert Jones, Happy New Year. All right, Brian, we're done. Let everybody hey, know what uh, you want them to know about what you're up to these days with uh, your well, various social. For now, you can find me at uh, bigbridedeals.com. I have deals on my website that are exclusive to me. Killer deals. I think you can buy uh, Pop Century Santas that were never in, that were never in, in packs this year. You can get those only from my website. Go to Big Bride Deals, but also I stream on KK Consignment. I'm doing my shows over there with them. They have 77,000 followers. And I've been doing phenomenal single card shows there. I got two coming up in January. Just keep an eye. But in the meanwhile, I'm retired right now. But I'll give you the first hint, Jeremy. I don't know how much longer that's going to be full retirement. I have a feeling I'll have a part-time gig in the next 30 days. Not because I want to, but because the hobby needs me to. <laughs> you're not. You're, you're retired, but you're not going quiet. That's for I'm sure. Definitely not going quiet. You can follow him on Follow him on Instagram. Follow him on or on Twitter, especially. That's really where you're where you're active is on Twitter uh, or X now. Brian, we're gonna wrap up. Uh, thank you for joining. As always, pleasure. Appreciate having you. And, Three hey, hours almost. My friend Rage five hundred eight cards and growls. I love you too, and I, I won't apologize for Tiger King. I will say that I don't ever endorse violence or bad behavior, but I love American pop culture and the impact it has on collectors. And with that, everybody, this episode of Sports Cards Live is over. Thank you for joining. Please subscribe. We'll listen on podcast. We'll be back next Saturday. Brian, thanks again. This hey, episode. Jeremy, I love you, buddy. Happy New Year, man. Stay right there for a sec, Brian. This episode of Sports Cards Live is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.